Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Good morning, everybody. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Kyle. I'm a ministry associate here at the church. Um, and I just want to start out by saying thank you to all of you. Um, it's really special for me to get to teach um, at the church that I'm a part of. You guys are my church family. And so I'm just really thankful um, for the chance to, um, that you guys have given me to get to teach today. Um, I also wanted to say thank you to Pastor Aaron. Um, he serves our church so well, um, doing so much week in and week out, serving and leading our church in so many ways, uh, including the work that he does every week to get to teach here on Sundays. Um, as, as some of you know, uh, Pastor Aaron wanted to be here this morning, um, but actually wasn't able to. And um, he did ask me, he gave me a little blurb that he asked me if I could just share with you guys. Um, so I want to read that. This is from Pastor Aaron. So all of you, he said, hi, Koa fam. I'm so excited for Kyle to preach to our church family today. I've been planning for a few weeks now to have Kyle preach today. Those in the pastoral development track, like Kyle, are given the opportunity to preach for increased development. Kyle completed a preaching training guide, sent me a sermon beforehand, and even preached a sermon to me. I pray that you'll be blessed by this passage and sermon just as I was. I wanted to be here in person today, but unfortunately yesterday, my youngest daughter, Shisera, had a seizure and was rushed to the hospital. She's back from the hospital now and is recovering. We would appreciate your prayers for our family during this time. All to say, excited for Kyle to preach today and cannot wait to be back with you soon. Um, so yeah, I was able, I was uh, texting with Aaron this morning and Shisera is um, continuing to recover and doing well. Um, but I know that um, he hates, he wanted to be here and misses you guys. So if you think about it, definitely um, pray for Shisera and just pray for all the Peters that she would continue to recover. Um, but yeah, definitely, I'm really thankful to Aaron and for this opportunity to teach. Uh, but with that, this morning we're going to be in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. And so we've been going as a church through the book of Genesis. And what we've seen is uh, this whole story about Abraham. And so today we actually want to take a slight detour into the book of Galatians. Because in Galatians we get insights into what's actually going on with Abraham. Specifically, what Galatians 3 shows us is that God justified Abraham by faith. Um, and all I mean by that is that Abraham's ultimate sense of goodness, um, his ultimate affirmation in life, was found through Jesus, um, and he had that through faith. Uh, some people have said that justification is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. It really is that important. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, the reality is that we all want justification. We all are looking to something in our lives for a sense of goodness. We all want to be seen as a person of virtue and morality. We all want someone to look at us and say, you are good enough. We all want justification. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Um, this really hit home for me actually a few weeks ago when Alex and I were watching a, a Netflix documentary about Taylor Swift. Uh, it was actually, it, it was a really interesting documentary, but... Uh, we, she shares like her whole story about her rise to fame, like going from being known by no one to being internationally famous. And she actually, she shares in this documentary about how along the way, while she was, you know, people are like worshiping her 
as she's like on stage and everyone knows her name. And she shares about how in this whole journey that uh, her heart was actually longing for approval. Like she was longing for people to look at her and say, you're good. Um, she actually, she says this in the documentary. She says, I'd been trained to be happy when you get a lot of praise. I had that praise of Taylor, you're doing a good job at your work. You're doing a good job at being a songwriter. You're doing a good job at being a musician. Like those pats on the head were all I lived for. She was trying to be justified through her work. And so I want to talk about today is where do we go for our justification? Where do you go for your praise and approval? Where do you go for the pats on the head? What's the thing in your life that you are living for? The thing that gives you worth and value and goodness. That's what I want to talk about today. Uh, When we pick up in Galatians 3, Paul is actually confronting the church in Galatia for their attempts at self-justification. What I mean by that is they were trying to find their goodness ultimately in themselves, in their own performance and actions. And so what I want to do is make Paul's point my main point, and it's just this. Justification is by faith alone. If there's one thing you take away today, that's it. Justification is by faith alone. And all I mean by that is that uh, you ultimately won't be able to work hard enough, to perform, to achieve, to make yourself good enough. Our greatest validation in life, our true source of goodness, can only come from God himself. By faith, the goodness of Jesus becomes your goodness. That's justification by faith. Uh, it's like when I went cave diving as a teenager. Uh, whenever, when I was in high school, I actually had this really cool opportunity. To, um, I went with some buddies of mine, and we were in some caves in Tennessee. And we got to like, explore through these like, labyrinths of caves. And uh, we even got to see there's like this, this underwater pond that we got to walk around. It was beautiful. Uh, it was amazing. But by the end of, like, of spelunking, I was covered from head to toe in mud. Like I was filthy. And my group and I, maybe not the best decision, but we decided that we actually wanted to spend the night camping in the cave. Uh, so there's no showers. So I'm like disgusting, covered in like grime and dirt. And uh, I had to get in my sleeping bag to go to sleep and I'm, I'm filthy. So what do I do? Uh, I just had to put on a pair of clean clothes over all my filth and, and dirt. And I think that's a picture of justification. What God does is when we were, were morally filthy, when we were caught in all our failures and mistakes, what God does is he actually covers us with the clean garments of Christ's righteousness. Christ's goodness becomes our goodness. It's justification by faith alone. So what does it take for us to understand our justification by faith alone? We need to know three truths. Truth number one, faith accepts justification. Truth number two, self-righteousness denies justification. And truth number three, God accomplishes justification. So I want to actually look at them in that order. Uh, Faith, self-righteousness, God. Yeah? All right, let's start with the first one. Uh, Faith accepts justification. So simply by trusting in Jesus, we actually get the perfect record of Christ. Look with me. um, uh, We'll start in verse six, actually. We'll back up a little bit. I want you to just pay attention with me to how Paul uses the words belief and faith in this passage. So verse six, we actually pick up halfway through a sentence. Uh, Paul says, And just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Paul uses the word belief. That's another word for faith. What basically what he's saying is that simply by trusting in Jesus, Abraham was considered good in God's eyes. Paul keeps going. Uh, Verse seven, he says, know then that it's those of faith who are sons of Abraham. 
and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So basically, uh, this didn't just happen for Abraham. Like Paul's saying, this extends to us today. Like just by trusting in Jesus, we get his good, his perfect record. Then verse nine, Paul continues to just like hammer the same point home. Uh, He says this, he says, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul uses the same word five times. He's like screaming. He's like, see this, faith alone. Faith is what justifies, what accepts justification. So how do we accept justification? It's only through faith. Uh, You know, we use the word faith a lot um, in church. I feel like maybe it's part of our like Christian lingo that we use, but I want to actually take a moment to define what faith is. I love the definition from the Dutch theologian, Herman Bavink. This is what he says. He says, faith is an unlimited and unconditional trust of the heart in the riches of God's grace in Christ. I love that. It's an unconditional and unlimited trust of the heart in the riches of God's grace in Christ. Uh, Faith is knowledge. It includes intellectual assent, but it's not just knowledge, right? It's something that happens in the heart. It's a heart level trust. It's a surrender to God. It's an admitting that we can't be saved on our own. And it's only through God's mercy and kindness that, that we could be good. That's faith. Um, one way to think about it is that justification by works says, I am good because of my performance, my approval, and my accomplishments, my achievements. Justification by faith says, I am good because of the performance, approval, and achievements of Jesus. Faith accepts justification. Uh, and I think that's really important. Uh, but there's actually an objection that our culture raises at this point. And I would imagine like probably most of us have heard this at some point. Uh, people will say this, faith is opposed to reason. And have you heard that? Um, people will say like faith is the opposite of reason. Uh, they'll say, uh, uh, people, the objection will go something like this. Maybe you have a, a non-Christian or a secular friend who would say, uh, you religious people, or maybe you Christians, uh, you know, it's nice that you guys have these beliefs, this, this faith, these things that can't be proven. And if that makes you feel good, you know, fine, keep it to yourself. It's fine if you want to believe it. Uh, but you know, you can't actually prove any of these things that you believe at your gospel. It can't actually be demonstrated. But I, the secular person, my beliefs are reasonable. Uh, science backs up my beliefs. My beliefs can actually be empirically verified. My beliefs are reasonable, whereas Christians, you know, can just be kind of irrational. Uh, maybe you've heard something like that. Uh, I, I want to talk about that because I think it's an important objection. Is faith actually opposed to reason? And I want to argue that it's actually not. Uh, first reason I think that is actually the Bible. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. It gives us another definition of faith. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I think it's really helpful. Um, what Hebrews chapter 11, what it's saying is that faith actually enables us to understand, to comprehend things that are invisible, things that are immaterial. Whereas reason helps us to understand the things that we can observe with our senses. Um, in that sense, like faith isn't irrational. It's actually like an extension of reason to, to understand God and, and other things. Um, basically, it boils down to this. If that's what faith is, is an ability to understand the things that can't be seen, then the reality is everyone builds their lives on faith. The secular person, the religious person, everyone. We all have a deep set of beliefs. We all have the, the things that are most central to us. 
that we ultimately hold by faith. They can't be proven. They're not self-evident, but yet we still believe them. Um, I love the way that Tim Keller makes this point in his book, Making Sense of God. He writes, to move from religion to secularism is not so much a loss of faith as a shift into a new set of beliefs and into a new community of faith. One that draws the lines between orthodoxy and heresy in different places. I love that. Uh, We all hold our deepest beliefs in life by faith. Uh, Let me just give you an example. Let's try to make this a little bit more concrete. Uh, So I had an academic advisor in college. Um, Nice guy. Uh, We had some interesting conversations. Uh, He was a really staunch atheist. Uh, And he would often talk about how irrational Christians are. Uh, He would talk about, uh, honestly, sometimes he made some good points. Uh, He was a biology professor. And he was right, actually, that in certain instances, Christians have kind of unnecessarily like rejected science when we didn't have to. Uh, but you know, it struck me as he would go on about how Christian beliefs don't make sense, they're irrational, all of that. And it struck me at one point that like his, his deepest beliefs in life were just as much held by faith as mine are. For example, uh, he believed that we should pursue justice for everyone, regardless of class, gender, ethnicity, so on. He believed that people are all made with inherent dignity and worth. Right? Everyone has inherent value. He believed that we should all love one another, that we should work together to build a better society. All things that we agree with, right? All good things. And yet, none of those things are self-evident, right? Like what, what scientific test can you go run to prove that we should all love one another, right? Like who can ultimately prove that uh, we should pursue justice for everyone. Because frankly, that's not self-evident. Like you look at world history and clearly that's been debated. The reality is we all hold our deepest beliefs in life by faith. It's inescapable. And so the question that we have to ask is which beliefs held by faith are best? Um, Well, uh, one of the things I love about Boston is how committed people here are to thinking and learning, um, to contemplation. Uh, You know, Boston's such a big academic hub. I think all of us probably have neighbors, coworkers, friends who have deeply thought through objections to Christianity. Like if you talk about your faith, people can give you a few reasons. So they're like, hey, your beliefs really aren't for me. Um, I think that's kind of silly and irrational. Um, But I think if we actually understand faith, we don't have to be afraid of that. Right? Like we don't have to be afraid that our deepest beliefs as Christians are actually held by faith because everyone holds their beliefs by faith. So what we should do is we should lovingly, we should be gentle but firm and like lovingly call in our non-Christian friends. Hey, would you consider this set of beliefs? What do you see how these beliefs um, in a God who loves you and wants to forgive you simply through trusting in him, not through your own works, would you see that this is the best news in the world? When you see how this is the most livable news, it's the most rational, we want to be gentle and loving. That's the most loving thing that we could do with our non-Christian friends is ask them to consider the claims of Christianity. Um, The reality is faith is opposed to works, not reason. Faith isn't irrational. What faith is, is, is it's a resting from all of our striving. It's a full surrender to God to admit, I can't be good on my own. I can't make myself good. And so we can only find that through Jesus. What faith does is it accepts justification. 
Um, but there's a problem. And it's that we are always, the human heart is always trying to build its ultimate goodness and, achievement and achievements and approval through ourselves. We are all striving to be seen as good and to build up our own goodness in our lives. And the reality is when we do that, it will only make us self-righteous, arrogant, and demeaning. And that's actually the second truth I want to talk about is that self-righteousness denies our justification. Um, Paul, he's actually, he's confronting the church in Galatia for this. If we back up to Galatians 2.12, so you have to like move back a little bit to get the context here. Um, But if we move back to chapter two, verse 12, this is what Paul says. He confronts um, the Christians in Galatia. He says, for before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, Peter drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So Peter, he's a Jew, and he, has, he, he had a lot of close relationships with non-Jews, also known as Gentiles, most of us here. Uh, but there's this certain, this one specific group of Jewish leaders who came in and they said, if you're really a good follower, then you have to go do this action. You have to go be circumcised. Um, and if you do that, then on your own achievements, you will be good. Um, and so I will not go in depth into circumcision today. Uh, Pastor Aaron had a whole point on that in a sermon a month or two ago. So feel free. I'm sure he would love to get like a text from you asking like, hey, what is circumcision? Could you like explain that? I'm sure he would just love that. So please do ask him. Uh, but basically there's this big debate over circumcision. and It was super divisive, Right. Uh, there, there's a group that said, I am good because of my achievements, because of my circumcision, and therefore I won't even eat meals with people who aren't circumcised like I am. Uh, and so they were self-righteous. They were looking down on people for not being able to achieve their level of moral superiority. They were judgmental and hypocritical. If you look at, uh, if you skip down a little bit to Galatians chapter two, verse 16, Paul keeps going. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul uses this phrase, works of the law. Uh, he means that in a really specific way. What he's saying is works of the law, it's um, our attempts to build our own goodness on us. It's our attempts at self-validation. Uh, it, it's trying to be seen as a good person through your own accomplishments. And Paul says, it's a dead end. Justification can't be through works. It's only through faith. Just consider this with me. Who hated Jesus the most? Who utterly despised Jesus? It wasn't the tax collectors, right? It wasn't the outcasts of society, the ones that everyone looked at and they were like, those are bad people. Like fill in the blank with whoever you think like the terrible people are. Uh, It wasn't those people right? Jesus loved them. He, he was honest with them about their mistakes, but he also taught forgiveness and they loved Jesus back. They flocked to him, right? The, the outrageous sinners flocked to Jesus. So who was it who ultimately despised Jesus Christ of Nazareth? It was the religious leaders, right? Isn't that odd? It was the people who knew their Bible. It was the people who prayed, who shared their beliefs with Uh, non-religious people. It was those who gave their money, who showed up to worship. Those were the people who couldn't stand Jesus. Why is that? Because they were attempting to build their own goodness on themselves. 
They were trying to make themselves righteous. And Jesus came in and said, no, 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 it won't work. The only goodness you can have is through faith in me. And so they hated him for it. Uh, The reality is that self-righteousness wasn't just a problem then. Uh, I think religious self-righteousness is sadly often still a problem today. I've read multiple studies that show why is it that people will leave a church? Uh, What are some of the number one reasons consistently is that the people that they find there are judgmental, hypocritical, and self-righteous. The reality is that religious self-righteousness is just as much a danger today as it was then. And it, it, it damages people. Um, it, it, this isn't just a problem in the church. Frankly, I think self-righteousness is something that we don't have to look too far to see it in a lot of places in our society. Uh, there's a lot of examples that we could talk about. Um, where do we see self-righteousness in American society today? I think one easy one that we all see is just this, social media. We have all opened up Facebook or Twitter and immediately seen something that is self-righteous, arrogant, um, smug, sanctimonious, whatever. That like you, you look on your phone and you're like, you see it and you're like, that's terrible. And you just close the app and go away. Like we've all had that experience, right? On social media, our self-righteousness is on full display. Uh, there's a, Jonathan Haidt is a social psychologist at NYU. And he wrote this article with The Atlantic titled, Why the Last 10 Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid, which has to be like my favorite article title ever. Um, Why the Last 10 Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid. And what he does in the article is he's actually showing about how we are largely incapable of healthy online communication. Uh, The way that we communicate online is like incredibly destructive and actually unraveling our society. He actually, he writes this about uh, the story of Twitter. He says, one of the engineers at Twitter who had worked on the retweet button later revealed that he regretted his contribution because it made Twitter a nastier place. As he watched Twitter mobs forming through the use of the new tool, he thought to himself, we might have just handed a four-year-old a loaded weapon. And how about that? (laughs) Uh, The reality is that our attempts at self-goodness online, it's so destructive. Right? We get online and we tear each other apart. We're judgmental. We're quick to speak, slow to listen. Um, we are all attempting to have justification through online communication. And frankly, it's just hurting us. We see self-righteousness in so many places. We see it in social media. Sadly, we see it in the church. We see it in the church of Galatia in this passage. And I just want to ask, where do you see it in you? Where do you find in your own heart that you're struggling with self-righteousness? Finding yourself being demeaning, critical, looking down on people. Where is that in your own heart? Um, I wrote down just four ways that we could identify self-righteousness in in our hearts. So let's talk about them. Uh, First way that you could identify self-righteousness in your heart. Number one, you you know a lot about the Bible, but you don't love people. Just to be completely real with you guys, this is where I often find myself. Like I am shocked in a bad way with my own heart about how I can read 
passages of scripture about love and forgiveness and kindness. And then in like the same moment, be feeling judgmental and looking down on people. Like go from my quiet time to speaking harshly to my wife or someone else. Like I'm shocked by my own heart sometimes about like, why is it that we can know these true things about God, read the Bible, but not actually live it out? Uh, maybe, maybe you feel like you struggle with this as well. Um, do, you, do you know a lot of theology, but find yourself constantly irritable with people? Are you allowing your, your mind to grow in God's word, but find yourself incapable of loving others? Do you quote the Bible often, but not actually care about other people? If so, that's self-righteousness. Uh, a second way that we can identify self-righteousness, you typically make non-Christians feel judged, not welcomed. Uh, let me ask, when you, uh, when you talk with people from other religious traditions, do they feel cared for by you? Or do they feel like you're just looking down on them? Do they feel like you're trying to love them or that you're just hating them? Uh, sometimes people who struggle with this one, uh, they'll excuse it with something like this. They'll say, I'm just speaking the truth. It doesn't matter if people don't like me for it. Uh, and I get that. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the reality is Jesus was very clear about the truth, right? You read through the gospels and Jesus is shockingly direct. It's like surprise. It's jarring to us sometimes as modern readers, just how clear Jesus can be with people about their sins and mistakes. And the thing is sinners flocked to Jesus. They loved him for it. He was able to, to, to both, yes, speak the truth and yet do it in a way that's gracious and kind and tender. Um, it, when you speak with people from other religious traditions, do they feel that from you? Do they feel like you're just um, condemning them or do they feel like you actually care about them? Just to be super clear, um, I'm not saying that Christians won't have anything unpopular to say because uh, we all know that's not true. Uh, Jesus is the prime example, right? I mean, Jesus, his teachings were so unpopular. He was hated so much because of them that he, he was crucified for it, for what he taught. But I think the point still stands. He was still able to teach in a way that non-Christians felt deeply loved and cared for by him. Is that you? Right, when, uh, when you uh, talk with other people, do they feel loved or hated by you? Because um, that could be self-righteousness. Third way that we could identify self-righteousness you have a good desire for justice, but you talk about it in a way that is harsh and condemning. Uh, just to be, to be super clear, I love the modern push for justice. We need more of that. Like Christians should be at the front calling out injustice and being clear about God's desire for, for things to be good, for us to have justice in our society. Righteous anger is a good thing. Right? There, there's a biblical category for anger. Jesus overturned tables. Right? There, there is a time and place to call out injustice, to be honest with it, to say things need to change. I don't have any issue with that. We, we ought to have a good desire for justice. But let me ask, when you talk about justice, do people feel like you are always just looking down on them, condemning them? Um, the, the reality is that uh, righteous anger, it's not harsh or condescending. Truth and grace always go together. We know that justice is a friend of forgiveness. So when you talk about justice, like, like typically how do people feel? Are you, do people feel like you're always just looking down on them? That you're just trying to position yourself as better than, than them, as more moral? 
Are you constantly judging people for not pursuing justice the way that you do? When you look at other people, do you only see injustice in them and goodness within yourself? Um, if you do, that is actually self-righteousness. Fourth and final way that uh, we could see self-righteousness. I'm sure some of you guys are like, dang, Kyle's like really going after it right now, talking about self-righteousness. I just have one more. Um, the, the fourth way that we could see self-righteousness is you spend more time thinking about the sins of others than you do admitting your own sins to God. Uh, I don't think if, if, if you didn't think the, any of the other ones applied to you, I think, frankly, all of us fall into this category, right? Uh, a tendency to, to admit, to, to um, address the sins of others far before we even consider our own failures. I would, I would imagine most of us are guilty of this. Does your mind naturally drift toward thinking about the mistakes of others or toward confessing your sins to God? Does your heart lean more towards critique or confession? Do you typically think more about the ways that others have wronged you? Or do you go to God to confess the ways that you have wronged others? Um, the reality is the person whose sin we should be most familiar with is our own. We all have the clearest view of our own hearts. And so whenever we think about what's gone wrong, we should always be able to see our own sins and mistakes the clearest. Um, that's not to say there is, a, there is plenty of room to call out people whenever they make mistakes, and we have to do that. Um, but we ought to be quick to admit our own failures too. We should be quickest to recognize our own sin. Um, those are four ways that we can identify self-righteousness. And let me just say this, after all of that, here is the beauty of the gospel that you and I, in our self-righteousness, we couldn't make ourselves righteous, but Jesus is the only one who is able to have a righteousness within himself that didn't make himself righteous. He was able to live a life of virtue and morality. He's able to teach others. Ultimately, what Jesus did is he died on the cross for our self-righteousness, my self-righteousness and yours. What Jesus did is he took our self-righteousness on the cross so we can actually be given his righteous record, so we could receive his goodness. And friends, we get that through faith. So yes, self-righteousness denies justification, but simply through faith, we get complete forgiveness. We get to be wiped clean. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's how good and gracious God is to us. And so that's the third truth that I want to talk about is despite our self-righteousness, the third truth is that God accomplishes our justification. This is so beautiful. Um, we see that completely apart from us, like just God, this is something only God did for us. He makes a way for us to be justified, for us to receive a goodness that we didn't earn, for us to be given the good record of Jesus. Um, look with me again at verse six. This is what Paul says. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So read the verse carefully. It does not say Abraham believed God and so he started to do good things. Although that would be true. Like when you become a Christian, you do live, you're transformed. You live a different life, but that's not what it says. What does it say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God credited Abraham with the righteousness he didn't earn. Why did he do that? How could he do that? How can God just look at someone and see goodness? Isn't that just unjust? Isn't that bad? 
Is God just looking at badness and calling it good? No. Verse eight, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. So why was Abraham counted righteous? Because God justified him. What Jesus did is Jesus was, he lived a good life that we couldn't. Jesus took our badness and gave us his goodness. He made a way for us to be validated and be made clean in the eyes of God. Um, there's a whole second sermon that I could preach just on verse eight, and um, we won't do that. But let me just say briefly, it is beautiful to me how verse eight shows that this justification by faith alone extends to all nations. The Greek, uh, the word for Gentiles here in Greek is ethne. Um, it's, it's, it's every ethnicity, every nation, every background, every people, regardless of where you come from. God's justification by faith alone is offered. That is beautiful. It's inclusive of people from anywhere. Anyone who has faith in Jesus can be justified. Um, we said earlier that justification is an attempt to be seen as good. Let me give you a more precise definition. I, I just want to be really clear about what is justification. It's this. Justification is the gracious act of God, which declares that a sinner is righteous through faith alone in Christ. That's justification. It is completely a work of God. What God does completely on his own, he graciously has accomplished this, this, uh, this perfect record that we only receive through faith. Um, even when we, when we were guilty, God as our judge declares us innocent. It's a, it's a legal change. You go from guilty to innocent in God's courtroom. Uh, it, it's a once and for all thing. Justification is the moment someone becomes a Christian. It's a once and for all declaration. Um, and you only get that by trusting Jesus. I love the way that, um, that Martin Luther said this. He said that Christians are at once justified and a sinner. Friends, we are both sinners and saints. We are both, we are guilty because of our own actions, but we get the perfect good record of Jesus. Um, I love verse seven gives us a beautiful picture of this. This is what Paul says. He says, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. It's the language of adoption. I love that. God, what, what the verse is saying is that as children, God actually changes our legal status from orphan to child. Um, it was, uh, I, I mentioned earlier, I asked if, uh, if you could pray for Cicera, who, um, who had a seizure and she's recovering. Um, it, it was really, really special um, to get to be there in the courtroom when Cicera was adopted. Um, I know some, some of you were there as well. We were in this, like, this old courthouse in downtown Boston, and we walk in, and we're in these like old rickety benches, and the judge walks in, and she has her like black formal robes on, and she walks in with these official documents and her gavel, and the Peters shared Shasera's whole like foster to adoption story. And like, I think we were all crying. Like, I think everyone's just like weeping, getting to hear like this story of what God's done in the Peters and through in Shasera. Um, and then this moment came when the judge, she read the official documents and then she tapped her gavel. And in that moment, Shasera went from legally not Peters to Peters. That is a picture of justification. What God does for us is he calls us into the divine courtroom. When we were orphans, when we were guilty, when we were far from God, we were, we were the rebellious kids who hated God and ran far from him. 
We couldn't, we couldn't be with him anymore because of all of our mistakes and failures. And so what God did, the son of God became a man. Jesus Christ came and he actually on the cross, he took our badness to give us his goodness so that in God's courtroom, what God did is he, he dropped his gavel and you and I, Christian, you went from orphan to daughter or son of the one true God. You went from guilty of everything you've ever done wrong to innocent in the eyes of the God of the universe. That is justification. It's, <laughs> this is the best news in the world that like God accomplishes justification. He does this for us. This is amazing. Um, yeah, God takes us from sinner to righteous. And so I just want to ask right here, where are you going for your justification? Even someone who's been a Christian for decades, we said justification is a one, once and for all thing. That's true. But even someone who's been a Christian for decades is still tempted to forget where does our justification come from? Let me just ask you, like, where are you going for people to look at you and say you're good enough? What's the thing that you were looking for? In your, where do you go for validation, for approval, for success? What's your ultimate source of goodness in life? Um, I just want to be completely real with you guys right here. Uh, in my life, in my own heart, I am so tempted to build my justification on my job. Uh, to be completely honest with you guys, I was lying awake this morning at 1 a.m. Or maybe it was 2 a.m. I don't know, whatever. I'm lying awake at 1 a.m. And my heart was just anxious. I'm like, trying, like, I'm trying to remind my heart, like my ultimate worth and approval doesn't come from the sermon, doesn't come from making a service go well. My ultimate approval in life can't come from being a good husband, a good friend, a good sibling, a good son. It can only come through Jesus. And guys, I just, I want to be real here. I am watching as some of you are running to your job for your justification. I am watching as you give up anything. You will sacrifice your health. I'm watching as you give up your physical and your mental health. I'm watching as you spend every weekend on your job. I'm watching as you, you put your friendships to the side. If only at your job, you can get that raise. Your boss can look at you and say you've done a good job. If you can get a promotion. And guys, my heart is just crying out like, see, like that's not your justification. Your ultimate worth and goodness in life can't come from that. God has made justification available to you. Rest in it. Listen, when you rest in your justification, nothing can take it away from you. When your boss hates you, when you lose your job and you get laid off, when you don't get the promotion, you can rest knowing that God sees you as good and righteous. Um, I'm watching as others of you, you work so hard to serve other people. And I respect that so much. That is a good thing. But I'm watching as you are pouring out yourself. If only you can serve people well enough. If you can be there for people, maybe the way others weren't there for you, you'll be seen as good. Then you'll be lovable then other people actually care for you. And friend, I'm watching as like, that doesn't happen. People don't come through. You're giving everything to care for other people and you feel like they don't care about you at all. Guys, I want you to see that God has served you in the gospel. What God has done is he has come to you and he has shown you that he loves you. You are lovable. You are good enough 
not because of you, but because of Jesus. That's justification. Rest in that. So that when other people don't care about you, when they don't serve you in return, you can rest in that knowing that you are loved and you are cared for because God loves you. Um, I'm watching as others of you, you hear about justification and your heart feels so cold. You feel so apathetic toward God. Friends, I get that. I've been there. You hear about justification and you don't feel a thing at all. Guys, I want you to hear that what God has done in the gospel is he has come to you and he has given you the most exciting, the most thrilling, the most satisfying thing in the world. And that is the goodness of his son. You get that just by trusting in Jesus and then you can live a life of fulfillment and joy and meaning. You don't have to run to the vacation or the hobby, whatever like short thrill you can get, you can rest in Jesus because like he is the most exciting thing in the world. I'm watching as others of us just feel guilty, feel so overwhelmed with shame. You look at the things you've done in the past and you just feel so guilty. You feel like you could never be good enough. You could never be clean. You could never be pure, innocent. You feel like you are unlovable. And I want you to see that like in the gospel, God has scooped you up. He wraps you up in his arms. He says, I love you. You are good enough. You are innocent. He wipes you off. He says, you're my child. The son of God was killed on the cross so that you could be made into a daughter or son of the one true God. That is justification by faith. And so what we need to do is every day, we need to press our justification deeper into our hearts. We should pray our justification. We should meditate on our justification. We should always be preaching the gospel to ourselves. Preach justification to your own heart. Like anything you can do to like push it down deeper into your beliefs, remember it, rest in it. Like go to that, like God has justified you. If you're a Christian, if you placed your faith in Jesus, God has declared you righteous. Remember that. Um, and I talked earlier about Taylor Swift's Netflix documentary. Um, so she, she gives this whole story about her rise to fame and she's popular and she has so many award-winning albums and then it all just falls apart. There came a point in her career when uh, public approval turned on her. She was so convinced that uh, people hated her, that like everyone hated her, that she just went dark for a year. She like no one heard from her. She just disappeared. The disapproval was so crushing that her source of goodness, that her, her reason for existing had been taken away from her. In the gospel, we have a declaration of goodness. We have a forgiveness that no one can take away from us. There are no compliments can make your heart sore and critiques can't make your heart sink. Why? Because the God of the universe looks at you and says, I love you. You're my child. I've made you good. That's justification by faith alone. Faith is what accepts that. And even though our self-righteousness denies it, God comes in and he justifies us just through faith. So let's, let's believe in that, right? Who doesn't want that, right? Let, let's, let's trust in the justification that God's made available for us. Let's pray.